Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked at as something shocking, but now God knows anything goes. Gaze, be thrilled, be excited, be flamboyant, because today's uh, feature film that we've selected, it stars a two-time Tony Award-winning actress, Sutton Foster, who does not age, by the way. Let us just acknowledge the woman is 46. She does not age. She's won two Tonys, one of which was for Thoroughly Modern Millie, and one of which was for The Revival of Anything Goes. A classic. Troy, you don't know a lot about Broadway, but, you know, there's <laughs> there's a tidbit for you that you may or may not have known. Uh, okay. I, I I had no idea I was watching a Tony Award-winning actress perform in Gravy. I had no clue. No clue. I'm going to say, it like, this, you know, this aside, Gravy aside. Sutton Foster, fucking insanely talented, deserves all the vehicles in the world to push that talent forward. Um, she's had a few a uh, few TV shows. She had Bunheads, and then she had the way more successful Younger that she's had for like seven or eight seasons now, um, along with one Hilary Duff, whose jaw is just overwhelmingly large, but we love her nonetheless. Um, but yeah, today's um, title is Gravy, and it stars Sutton Foster, who I really love, and Troy... Let's let's just get into gravy. Let's talk about this a little bit in the sense of this is a title that I'm pretty sure you've never seen prior to this, correct? No, I had never seen it. Um, never, yeah, never heard of it really. So it was definitely a. Uh, uh, I was going in absolutely blind. I had no idea what it was about. Yeah, I was hesitant to throw it at you because we don't tend to go horror comedy on here. You know, that's like a little bit of a. I would say that's more for a Patreon. Almost a horror comedy. By the way, guys, we got a Patreon. Let's just throw it out there. Troy, use this as your platform. Oh, well, yes, folks. We do have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com and search for Dark Knight of the Podcast, you will find us and you will find the link in the show notes. We're just going to give it a little bit of a plug. Here you go. You could subscribe. We have three different tier levels. For each tier, you get extra bonus content each month. And currently, right now, we the page is it has some pretty awesome bonus content, if I do say so myself, Roger. We have two full-length bonus episodes exclusive to Patreon. We did Terrifier, uh, Art the Clown, the Slasher Flick Terrifier, and we did Repo, the Genetic Opera. Both of those episodes are up. All you have to do is join at one of the Tier 2 or Tier 3 levels, and you get access to it. And then we have two little bonus mini-episodes. Uh, they're at about 30 minutes apiece, where we the first one we count down our top three underrated final girls in horror film history and the latest one that we just posted a couple days ago for november is our top three underrated death scenes in horror films and i think you will find some very interesting uh obscure films on these lists so i 
I definitely, it's worth checking out. If you enjoy the podcast, you know, throwing a few extra or a few bucks at us a month really will help us improve the show. Again, you get extra bonus content that nobody else hears and you get an awesome shout out. So we got it. We have five patrons that have been with us now since the start and we have to thank them again. We want to thank Julie Brock, Stephen Ramirez, Craig Brocken, Andrew Benoit and Simon Logan. And guys, I Roger can attest to this. I have them memorized. I'm not reading off of anything. So that's how much we love our, our patrons. And if you want to hear your name, again, head over to <laughs> head over to patreon.com, Dark Knight of the Podcast. We, again, it's yeah. a couple bucks a month, guys. And we, we take these episodes seriously. We're not skimping. They're full length. They go as much detail as, as our regular episodes. So check them out. Yeah, it's good stuff. I mean, it's really good stuff, if I may say so, my, say so myself. But they're out there. Well, yeah, you know what? And I'm not just saying this, yeah. Roger. Yeah. It's kind of sucks because I really <laughs> honestly think that Terror terrifier and repo the genetic opera episodes are one of our or two of our best that we've done in a while and it just it sucks that they're not being fully utilized released widely but that just should just encourage you to go check them out but guys check it out um give us some support even if you just share the patreon on social media that'll help oh, yeah. us out too so oh, yeah. and and even yeah, with that we'd be grateful just, uh, other things i think that our, our listeners can look forward to is uh, we plan on releasing full schedules, monthly schedules of our expected titles. You'll be able to know every movie we'll be reviewing that month. Uh, a full calendar of the month to, you know, know what to expect. So you'll have a, a little bit of future notice, which is exciting. And also you'll have some direct input. I mean, we always want to listen to our fans. If you're going to suggest a title, I mean, we're going to add it to the list. But if you're a Patreon supporter and you recommend something, it might get bumped up a little faster, maybe. So um, so just there's a lot of perks that come with this very minor fee. My goodness. Well, yeah, and we have some some different merchandising ideas we are we are planning uh, and stickers and all kinds of fun stuff. So check it out. That's enough about that. Again, the patreon.com search for Dark Knight of the Podcast or the link will be in the show notes. I think it's time we get on to this film because I feel like we're going to have a lot to say about this one. So it may Oh my god. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I feel like this film, Troy, was one that like I was hesitant to even throw out to you. And I'll say this, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like when I suggested it, I sensed a little hesitancy on your part as well. Because, like I said, a horror comedy is not our usual. It wasn't. You know, but to be honest with you, Roger, it was not the fact that it was a horror comedy. I will tell you what it is. And it's still a concern. But... We'll get it out there. I, I'm, I'm, you know, excited because the movie actually deserves to be way more known than it is. My concern was not enough people knew this title and were going to actually be want to listen to the episode. Because generally people want to listen to episodes yeah. of mo movies that they're familiar with that they've seen so they can form an opinion and, and see if they agree with what we say about it. Uh, so I was really worried that I was like, oh, shit. OK, so we're picking this really obscure film right now. We are, you know, we're a podcast. We we thrive on our listens, the amount of listens we get each week. And we have to be thrilled with our listen growth just in the past. Probably two or three months has tripled and it continues to go up. Uh, so you love us. But I was like thinking in the midst of this, you know, this listener growth, we're going to do this film that if I haven't heard of it, that's pretty obscure so 
I'm, I'm hopefully I'm going to be surprised. And hopefully what my, what I think will happen is if we post enough about it, people will want to listen to the episode. So they'll seek the film out. It's easily available. It's on Tubi for free to watch. And I think you'll get a real kick out of it. And after you listen to us, you'll probably definitely want to, um, Watch it just for the fucking cast alone. Good grief. Mine is Sutton Foster, who, like I said, I'm not familiar with her, but I mean, I am familiar with Sarah Silverman, uh, Gabourey Sibide, uh, Paul, uh, James Roday, who actually directed it, uh, which I found very surprising because if you, if you guys are very, if you guys are familiar with the, uh, the show Psych that was on USA Network for all those years. It's James Ro- It's James Roday. It's the dude from Psych. He directed this. Yeah, and he also has a cameo at the end. Yeah, that's, and is and is in it in the last couple minutes, along yeah. with the other his co-star from Psych, who is the other paramedic. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we'll but yeah, get there. Yeah. So yeah. this film is is gravy. And another thing, Roger, can I tell you? No, please. The title turned the title turned me off because here's a little interesting fact about Troy. Do you hate gravy? I just des- I despise gravy. Oh, Troy. I hate gravy on anything. Oh my god! Anything. I don't want gravy on mashed potatoes. I don't want gravy on anything. I hate it. I don't know what it is. It's <laughs> so. But after watching this film, does that title alone not like lend itself so perfectly to the material? Because it does. <laughs> it does. I didn't like. I said I had no idea what this movie was about. So let's, let's get into. You it. want to get into? Oh it my god! Yeah, yeah. I mean. Uh, so yeah, I just I kind of want to just reiterate before I really dive in, like yeah, the cast. I think what really drew me to this beyond anything, because I am, when it comes to horror movies, I am somebody who I, like on a late night I will deep dive into like an Amazon Prime or Tubi and just look for the obscure. You know, like that is my that is my me time finding titles that very few people have seen, and this is one of those movies. And I went into this movie with my friend Corey a couple of years ago. We had no idea what to expect. We are stoned out of our fucking minds, and it blew us away. Honestly, <laughs> like I was not—I was anticipating a movie that was going to just be like easy to make fun of. But no, you are laughing along with this film, and that's because at its core, this cast is just so great. Everybody in this cast is likable, from the villains to the <laughs> to the heroes and everyone in between. It just it is such a likable ensemble that carries this movie even through its clunkiest moments, I think. Um, and I really like, I gotta say, I don't want anyone to die. I really hate that we have to lose a few of these characters because, God, they're just so endearing. We lose more than a few of them. Oh, we lose, shockingly enough, we lose people in some really brutal and grotesque ways. And because this movie is so light in its approach at times, you're almost shocked when it happens. But I assure you, listeners, it does happen. I do want to just state there is so much like witty banter over the course of this film that it's impossible that we're going to hit every piece of it. Uh, or acknowledge all of it, but just know this movie is witty. <laughs> it is so witty. It's so funny. It's filled with great one-liners. Um, I, I tried to keep up taking my notes, but it was literally pausing it every single minute. Like, every minute on the minute, I was pausing it trying to grab a note. But so we're going to try to get through this <laughs> as fast as possible. But, like, this movie is just worth acknowledging. It really is. It's a, it's a good movie. It's worth acknowledging, and it's fucking fun. Um, it opens up with a note against a black background that states sometimes there is simply no clinical explanation for why a person is completely batshit. The old noodle is just fried, period. Uh, It's a statement apparently from Jack the Ripper's cousin Jim. (laughs) A 
apparently that's the case. But that gives you a note kind of exactly what you're getting into going into this. So um, I will say the opening of the movie, the first scene, and in turn the closing scene, which we will get to, are not my favorite parts of the film. I love Sarah Silverman, but I cannot stand her in this movie. Luckily, oh, yeah, oh my wow. god, I, I, I okay, <laughs> I, I'm the complete opposite. I can't stand Sarah Silverman at all, but I liked her in this. Like when I when you told me Sarah Silverman was in this movie, I was like, oh fuck, because <laughs> I don't like her. I don't think she's funny. I've never gotten her. But in this film, I think she's an she's absolutely uh, very endearing and funny. I think my thing is like they open. Well, I mean, they open the movie with the character of Anson arriving at this like little delicatessen uh, to pick up some gelato, and yeah, it's a it's a gas it's station. a gas station, yeah. yeah. And yeah, it yeah, goes yeah. in, and, and it leads to this guy, this basically this like kind of budding romance. Uh, that develops between the character of Anson and the character of Bethany Lynn Goolsby, who is played by Sarah Silverman. And these two characters are very weird, extremely weird. And I think the thing that they're trying to establish here beyond anything is just how weird they are, and that's why they connect. But then you go on to find out exactly why he's weird versus her just being a weird individual. But it's just, the shtick of it is very overplayed, in my opinion, within these two scenes. It's big, but it's so big. Like, I will be honest, this scene did turn me off a bit. It's what comes afterwards, what I enjoyed. But you feel differently, that's fine. Mm, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I absolutely feel it. I, lo- I love the opening scene. Like, from the opening scene, I was completely drawn in. Uh, I just love their banter. They're very natural back and forth, very cute, very endearing. And she didn't annoy, she didn't annoy me at all. Like, uh, and I do like some of their little lines there together. And, uh, you know, she's, she's from Haddonfield, Illinois. I mean, she doesn't say Illinois, but she's Bethany Lynn Goldsby from Haddonfield. I love the little banter they have back and forth about that's related to like him uh, going to forge for food. Uh, to bring back to to her after a long winter. I just found it very charming. I was like, oh my God, this is so funny. And they play so well off of each other. So I, I love their little um, quirks that come out of these two characters right away. His carries through throughout the whole film. We only see her in the opening scene and the last scene. I, I can see like if she was in the movie more where her character may become annoying. But I mean, she's in the movie a total of five minutes, if that. So... I, I didn't find it annoying at all. And actually, I mean, the ending didn't need to happen, but we'll get there. But I, I, I like the opening scene. And like I yeah. said, Sarah Silverman generally annoys the fuck out of me. So the fact that she didn't, super cool. And, and, and I find like, I feel like his interaction with her in this scene lends itself well to his character's like motivations and sort of uh what's the word i'm looking for uh mental state uh yeah but i'm thinking more along the lines of he he becomes like not quite sure what he's doing is necessarily a, a, a the right thing for him at some point yeah and i feel like this opening scene to focus on his character with this other quirky normal character as you said gives gives us a glimpse of like his true self Outside of the influence of his brother. Yeah. And that fucking bitch that you said all the characters are likable. No, I could not stand this Mimi character at all. By any, uh, I could not stand her. And I know you're not supposed to, but 
they try to make her charming and it's just not working for me at all. Mimi, you think they I don't I think Mimi is meant to be as detestable as possible from right yeah. off the bat. Well, no, there's 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 moments where they try to make her charming and it's just not working for me. Um and I think like this opening scene like as you know, whether I'm annoyed or not with the performances, I like I do want to reiterate the character of Anson. You go into it not knowing anything about him, mm-hmm. but you yeah, exactly. quickly learn that he is a very different individual. And the only kind of person I think he's going to connect with on that level is somebody who is different for their own reasons. You know, unique, different, quirky. So I think there's a, a, a reason for Sarah Silverman's character to be written the way she was, as big as she was and as over the top, because they're just, they're different people. They're weird. They're strange. I th- it makes sense to me. It does make sense yeah. why it's written that way. I just feel like there needed to be, because Anson becomes pretty much our, our main character outside of uh, Carrie played by Sutton Foster. But I feel like that was really important to have a scene with him that was by himself outside his brother, because obviously his brother, as we get introduced to his brother, his brother is the more like dominant one. So it was, I thought it was important for us to see a scene of how this Anson character would act if he wasn't with his brother yeah and i do want to communicate that his brother steph is played by jimmy simpson who is you'll know for as liam mcpoyle from the always sunny in philadelphia who yeah. is disgusting but he's also really good at playing like forceful aggressive dominant personalities um and he's perfect like he's probably the best casting in this whole film he dom when he's on camera he dominates this film yeah yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So the opening is definitely comedic. It definitely is, um, it, it, you know, if you're going into this not knowing anything about it, you see this opening scene, you are not going to anticipate this movie in any way being a horror movie. I'm going to say that. This movie does not open in any way like a horror movie at all. No. And we do acknowledge that the film takes place on Halloween night. So it is a Halloween horror film. I mean, the characters throughout the film are dressed up in their Halloween costumes and we get Halloween night. It's it's we are uh, we after this opening scene with Anson and Bethany at this convenience store it shifts to Raul's Mexican cuisine, which is a Mexican restaurant that is basically closing for the evening. And we have one of our staff waitresses or one of our staff. I think she's a waitress. Cricket is outside for a cigarette talking on the phone and she has her misbehaving costume on she's like a what a a, na- a naughty prom queen misbehaving she's my favorite character is she okay cricket is my favorite um i think she's played perfectly um she is portrayed by um molly ephraim i, I hope i said that right but um Horror fans will will recognize her from Paranormal Activity 2 and Paranormal Activity, the marked ones. But she's very comedic in this specific role. Um, and she plays like a bitchy, pretty waitress. And that's about all I can really give you on her. But she does it like she's just perfect in the role. Every line she states has like a kind of a bitchy tone to it. She's very self-obsessed. Um, but she has some moments of revelation as it evolves. It actually, like, she just has a really great performance here. I really enjoy her. But yeah, so she goes in. She starts uh, cleaning the fish tank. She makes a line about this fish tank is going to be the death of me, which is definitely, like, foreshadowing to what's what's about to come. Um, and we're basically kind of introduced to the entire staff of this Mexican cantina. Uh, we go into the back of the kitchen. We are introduced to Winketa, 
who's played by um, Gabrielle Sudebe, and uh, Yannick, who is the chef. And they're kind of going over uh, a test that she's going to be taking, um, a history test. And they're going about it in a very playful way that establishes their friendship right off the bat. Um, and the test does bring up the topic of the Army of Portugal cipher, which is very specific, but it comes into play later as well. Yeah, I, it comes into play many times, and I felt like I needed to stop and like Google it. I never did, but I, I was just like, why? Did-? It's basically a way of that the, they use to communicate by hiding messages within other messages. Um, and it does it does come into play in a specific way here towards the end yes. of the movie. But you, you get a really clear, established connection between the whole staff of characters right off the bat. These people get along i think this had to be a really fun set to be on like every moment these people are together there's chemistry and a, a large likability factor i would say yeah absolutely i love i love gabare sibide's character in this film uh even though in borderlines and i hate to say this but i feel like this film definitely is not very politically correct also, we need to put that out there. So if you're easily offended by slurs, racial stereotypes, things like that, don't watch this film because we don't need we don't need a cancel gravy hashtag trending because you can't take you because you can't take humor. No, let's be serious. Let's be no, serious. Right. Especially right before Thanksgiving, we don't need a cancel no. gravy because then but people no, will no, I was, I was, I'm being 100 percent serious though, because there th- this film does definitely <laughs> Have some stuff in it that can yeah. be misconstrued if you don't have a sense of humor. Her character is very stereotypical, yeah. but I, I I love her performance in this. I, I think this is probably one of the better performances I've ever seen her give outside of Precious. I mean, we have to keep in mind this is an Oscar-nominated actress. I was never a huge fan of her performance in American Horror Story because I felt like she was kind of wooden and the cast, the, the rest of the cast members overshadowed her. I feel like this is material that she's having fun with. It feels like she's comfortable with it. Her line delivery is some of the best in the film, uh, especially uh, a scene later on that's coming up. One thing I want to say based off what you're saying here, because I think this is something that's going to come up a few times, is the like socially acceptable dialogue, you know, and some of the choices that are made. Yes. I think one thing that needs to be acknowledged is it's very clear that everybody with involved in this cast is very in on it on the joke of the whole thing. Um, her character, to a certain extent, is is kind of a cliche, but um, I wouldn't use any of that as a detriment to her. Uh, she's not stupid, and it's very... Right off the bat, it is mentioned that she is about to take her one of her college tests, and she is going to be leaving the cantina next week because she's, she's one of the people who's in college and going off pursuing bigger, better things. So I think when they do have some of these moments of non-PC humor or commentary, it's very much to make certain characters look worse. Um, and one of the things I want to say, because we're about to be introduced to this character, Mimi, and and I, I, I hear what you're saying with aspects of maybe trying to make her seem endearing or likable. I think the big thing that I take away with the character of Mimi is she... We, we get these three characters who are antagonists, but two of the antagonists have a certain kind of humanity to them in a weird way. It's hard to describe. She represents the complete loss of humanity and care for 
the humane elements of what's about to happen. She is constantly throwing out slurs. She says faggot. She, uh, she's, at one point someone speaks in Spanish and she says, I don't speak poverty. Like, I think she's supposed to be wretched, a horrible human being. But that's not, but that's my point. We get that. Yes. You know, I think we understand that, but there are some viewers that maybe don't understand nuance or, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. they're going to be like, they're just going to flat out hear the word faggot and be like, oh my God, this film is right. homophobic. I mean, look at the whole, you know, I, I hate to bring this up and it's a film. I don't know if I, but you know, I mean, this, the word faggot in this film is thrown out very much as an insult. Yeah. Uh, very much the same way that. You know, if you going back to like Jason, uh, Freddie versus Jason, Kelly Rowland's character saying faggot, I still hear that brought up on gay and mm-hmm. uh, gay horror groups about being oh offensive. They need to go back and take that word out of the film, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I get it. Yeah. But there's a point to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it, so I was that was the one thing I was thinking of when I was watching this film is I mean, shit, there are people literally and I can think of them online that I see posts that are constantly offended by everything that would watch this movie and totally not be in on the joke and be like, Oh my God, that movie's racist. Oh my God. How can you watch that? But with that said, fuck them because I had a blast with this film and I get it. Thank you. And that's honestly one of, one of the main reasons I want to put that out right now, put that out there. One of the more, one of the main reasons I, pick this Troy is because we've had this dialogue before is because of the usage of that term um because she well, used it very prominently there are but there are there are slurs basically projected to every sort of minority group out there it's not just the word faggot there are I mean it's the film is has its share of them yeah yeah. We also have to keep in mind the director is a, I believe, James Roday Rodriguez. He's Hispanic, so he's definitely in on the joke itself, particularly the Hispanic jokes and slurs that are thrown in at the Hector character throughout the film. Because even Cricket has some pretty, um, I would say, questionable dialogue where that's bordering like offensive uh, in terms of her what she says about like. The comments she makes about Hector and Hispanics and and stuff like that. So, I mean, the whole film, but, but I get it. I get it. And I, you know, I'm just going to say like, if you don't get it, don't watch the movie. I mean, yeah, it's not for you. If you know, it's not for you. Don't get it. It wasn't meant it shut it off. It wasn't meant for you. If you are going to be offended by a film that is obviously a black comedy, if you're more offended by them using the word, the F, the, 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 the F word, or, you know, some sort of joke about a, you know, a, a language than you are seeing people being brutally eaten alive, then that's an issue. That's an issue. Absolutely. Because at the core, these are bad people. And and aside from using derogatory terminology towards people, these are also people that they're trying to eat as well. They're trying to eat let's these people. Okay, so let's put that out there. <laughs> these, okay, so let's, I feel like we're getting up. We're going to, we could talk about this for now. We're already a half hour in and we're only like five minutes into the movie. So we need to pick up the pick. So, Yes, Raul's Mexican restaurant. We get introduced to the all of the characters. Winketta is, I think she's a waitress, right? Or she's some sort yeah. of, I don't know what. She's dressed as a police officer for her uh, Halloween uniform. Yannick is the chef. Hector is like the bus boy who's dressed as a boxer. Yeah. He also boxes on the side. We already mentioned Cricket. And we get um, 
Carrie Sutton Foster, who I believe is the bartender. She's the bartender, yeah. And it's her last day. She's she's this is her last day at the cantina. She's dressed like a football player, and she's serving an individual named Bert at the Bert, bar. Oh, Bert. <laughs> Bert is a very sad, very Jewish man. Bert, who has just been he just attempted to propose to his like longtime girlfriend yeah uh and it went horribly wrong well she came out uh, as a le- she lesbian. came out as a lesbian and disclosed <laughs> that she is leaving him for a woman and so he's in mourning and so he um he basically he goes upstairs he's in the bathroom for half the movie <laughs> yeah, he not goes upstairs oblivious and- <laughs> to what's going on yeah carrie's like you're an oak she's like trying to like build him up and he just he is a very sad pathetic man all throughout the film <laughs> but very but entertaining. I, I love He's, him though. I, I just love his dialogue. To give him a hug, and then he what? And then the ending. I'm like, oh no. I know. I know. Again, I I just think I I think um, Gabrielle Sibide is hilarious in this. I love. There's a line because one of the waitress. Oh, uh, Chewy, right? Is that his name? Chewy, the owner. The, the owner. He had to yeah, take. Yeah. Uh, he's not there at the moment because he had to take Melissa, another waitress, to the to the hospital because her water broke. And I love Gabrielle. She's like that hoe. She was she was walking with a quesadilla and her water broke and leaked all over the carpet. <laughs> and, and, and the way she says it though is so fucking funny. <laughs> a quesadilla. She had a quesadilla. <laughs> yeah. No. There's a lot. Every. I feel like. With all of these characters, they're really tuned in on the humor of this. And and the kind of... I don't know if you've ever worked in a um, restaurant. I don't know if you listeners have ever worked in a restaurant. But there's a certain mentality that goes in on behind the scenes. I've worked at... The only restaurant I've worked at, Roger, here we go. Here's Troy's life story. No, just kidding. Oh, God. No, it's, <laughs> it's not. But I've worked at a buffet on a casino. Oh, yeah. I love a buffet. Yeah, me too. Although you wouldn't if you knew it went on behind the in the kitchen. Oh, my trust God. me. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. <laughs> um, uh, but, but, but I worked at Applebee's oh, okay. for years, and I, I can see this being very much like an Applebee's. Yeah, I can see that. let me that. tell you, like, there's a certain kind of chummy humor that everybody has. Well, you become... I mean, I've worked at, I've worked at places where there's, like, a small staff, and you really become super close you're like family like i worked at a video store a hollywood video in high school i think i've mentioned this on the podcast before and it was just a bunch of us young high school students and then the the manager who was pretty young herself the only reason she was the manager is because her dad owned the franchise uh we just had a blast and you just get this camaraderie and i feel like it's something people can i think relate to everyone like you said everyone in this cast is likable with the exception of one and they're having a good time and when i say she's not likable she gives a great performance i just hate the character she's an awful human being but i think she's supposed to be so i mean yeah but but i i I do think that you use the term family and i think that really resonates with at least the group of of protagonists there's a very family energy and like there's a moment with Chewy and um and Hector even where uh Chewy who is the owner of this restaurant who is Hispanic uh basically like tries to motivate Hector to be the Mexican with the lexicon to speak better you know to 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 speak like more grammatically correct you know um and and he's like trying to motivate him to do better because I think they kind of hint that Hector had like a prison background and everything but he's yeah but now he's like boxing and he's getting his life together 
and 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 Chewie is like supporting him, and he's got his back. And you see these like in the little bit of time you have before shit hits the fan, you get some really like lovely moments between the cast. So it makes it extra sad when shit does hit the fan because it's coming. Um, they do learn that the doors are all like locked, by the way, which they come to find they're actually welded shut, but they can't get any of the doors open. So people are like throughout like the, like, the basic commotion, uh, the commotion of closing. Everyone's kind of like, what's up with the doors? What's wrong with the doors? Um, and they're not really noticing it uh, right off the bat. It takes them a minute to understand exactly what's going on. But they do notice that in the corner of the restaurant, there is a couple that is still there half hour after close, aggressively making out in this booth. I mean, they are riding. Well, she's oh, she's right. She's uh, right. I mean, they're definitely dry fucking in this booth yeah i and yeah and, and who goes over to break it up Winketta, and, and she Winketta. Winketta, like she's like y'all gotta get your ass to a ramada stat um and they like continue to make out and the one girl who we find out is mimi is dressed up like a, a pussycat and she's like you're the dirtiest pussy i've ever seen and they're like not phased they just keep on going at it yeah and in the meantime, Chewie comes back and he wants to gather the group in the back. He got a flan cake for Carrie because it's her last night. And they all sing for we, she's a jolly good fellow for she's a jolly. Send her off. They give her a gift. And then there's a montage of them just doing some shots as Bert is like up in the bathroom. And he finally kind of comes to and starts to come to, you know, get leave the bathroom and come down. And... Okay, can we mention the song? The, the 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 soundtrack in this movie is fucking amazing. Yeah, it's all over the we place. We forgot. We forgot <laughs> the movie. Okay, Roger, we forgot to mention. How did we forget this? The movie opens with fucking Tears for Fears, sowing in the seeds of love. Yeah. The seeds. Okay, and then we get all kinds of, I mean, you get all kinds of 80s gems in this yeah. film. Yeah. However, this song is perhaps my favorite and I've never heard it. And I was like rewinding it just to listen to it over and over. Farm Animal Friends. <laughs> what the fuck song is this, Roger? Farm Animal Friends. It's like a honky tonk, like in <laughs> song. I mean, I don't know where but they But it's played it. during their drinking montage. Yeah. And when Bert like walks and falls and hits his head, there's this song. Farm Animal friends are my favorite friends. They go, wah, wah. <laughs> See, I got it memorized. I told you. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought my performance of Anything Goes was the musical number of the night, ladies and gentlemen. But my, oh, well, the no. Tony Award does not go to Sutton Foster. It goes to Troy. Um, but yeah, no. Oh, I mean, I honestly, the, the, the soundtrack is unlike any other movie I can think of because you get some really fucking weird, obscure songs like Farm Animal Friends. But then also they <laughs> obviously have the ability to get some like iconic, classic songs. I mean, like as you'll hear as we go on, there are a few moments where I'm like, how the fuck did they manage the rights to this one? But they did it. So between a stellar cast and a great soundtrack, you can't go wrong. But so as this is all happening, you basically see the individuals within the the restaurant who've been making out rise up and kind of culminate together along with a third figure that we find out is Anson who is now dressed up as a clown and he's been actually blowtorching the doors shut so Anson who up to this point has been a very 
likable character, very innocent, very innocent. I would use that word. Like his humor with Sarah Silverman earlier and everything was just so sweet and innocent. And you start to learn like, oh my God, these people are actually the villains. And the reason that's unique and intriguing is because they very much look like average everyday people. They're all in Halloween costumes. Mimi's dressed as a pussycat, Anson's dressed as a clown, and Steph is dressed like a, I don't know, like a Swiss boy, or like maybe like a Robin Hood or something. It's Robin Yeah, it's Robin Hood. Robin Hood. But like, it is very not intimidating upon first impression. And, and that is so different from what you normally expect with the antagonist of a movie such as this. These characters aren't trying to make themselves look scary look intimidating it's what they're about to do that's actually fucked up they're just dressed up in any other any old halloween costume what have you you know well we get it basically we get introduced to them being villains is the the way we get introduced to them being villains is because uh chewy asks winketa to go check the door because it won't open so he tells her to go check the door from the outside and see why it won't open so she goes and at the same time uh, Cricket decides she's going to go as well because she's leaving. So she's like, you can just walk me out to my car. And so uh, she says, uh, the freaks are out tonight and I'm a tiny white princess with natural boots. <laughs> <laughs> so like that's her reason for wanting to be escorted outside. So she's th- she thinks she's leaving. So as they're walking down this hallway, uh, Winketa is in front of her. She's behind talking. And all of a sudden a hand reaches out and grabs uh, Cricket and pulls her into this room. As Winketa goes down to the door, she actually, this is when she sees Anson there basically welding the door shut. And she's like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, oh, well, I'm welding the door shut. You know, I'm from the outside, from the inside even. And this is when we find out, yeah, that now Cricket is in the other room tied to a chair. And Winketa goes to try to save her and Steph puts a knife to her throat. And we don't need another hero. A great Tina Turner reference. We don't need. And then he asks her her name and she's like, fuck you. And he's like, fine, I'll call you Roz. <laughs> so he calls her Roz. For the rest of the movie. She's referred yeah, to as Roz. Roz for the rest of the film. <laughs> yeah. Well, then they go in the back uh, kitchen and get all of the other remaining employees and basically tie them to chairs. Yeah. Well, this is a, an interesting example well, first, I want to acknowledge a one-liner. <laughs> when Ken is like, do not put that orange in my mouth, motherfucker. And Steph, without a beat, because his, his delivery of humor is just amazing. He goes, it's a tangerine, and it's in season. And he, like, forces it in her <laughs> mouth. So these are all tangerines, let us just acknowledge. But um, the moment in which they go back to the uh, kitchen and capture, basically corral up everybody and, you know, get them to be tied up. They walk down the hallway, they turn the corner, and you don't see what happens. You only hear the commotion. But then you start to hear Carrie screaming, and the, the the camera kind of does like a cool, weird, distorted kind of sway, and it's all very trippy. But honestly, like, this movie is very humorous, but that doesn't mean it's scared to get dark. There are some moments that are not humorous. There are some moments that are off-putting or uncomfortable. And I found this little moment, as subtle as it is, to be actually very creepy. The fact that you only hear the commotion of them all being, you know, taken hostage. And you can hear the woman screaming. It didn't didn't feel humorous. It didn't feel silly. It just felt creepy. And, And 
Uh, there are several moments like that throughout the course of the movie where they choose to stray away from the humor of the moment and make it either something scary or something maybe kind of like sad and human, which is another thing that I would not expect from this movie. But yeah, so I thought that moment was just kind of a standout moment in the way they executed it. And then yes, it cuts to everybody tied up, taped down to these chairs, tangerines in their mouths, and the three villains take the stage. Steph proceeds to tell him tell the group that he has basically one rule for them and it's to shut their fucking mouths or he's going to stab them in the liver with his sword his his flintstone size fillet knife his flintstone (laughs) i was trying to think of what he said his flintstone size and i love i mean there's just so many little like moments in this film that are just so minor but so funny yeah, And it's like, I love when he asks them to repeat it back to him. He's like, okay, what was my one rule? I need to hear it back. And they're all, just, they're all just like different. They're like, oh, don't talk or we're going to get it. And they're all just saying it a different, it's, it's funny. It's just funny. I just laughed. I don't know why. I just found it funny. Yeah. The dark humor is on with this film. Like they hit, they hit way more often than they miss. I would say. Chewy obviously offers them to, offers to give them the restaurant's money to let the group go. And we realize they, they, they tell them the villains tell the group that the phone lines have been cut. Doors are welded shut. There's no windows. So nobody's really going to know you're in here. You can't get out. That's, that is what it is. Chewy, like I said, offers to give them all the money and the group like argue. And this just shows you like how close they are because they're like, you're because Chewy's like, I'm the only one that knows the safe. Uh, the combination and they're like four of them are like no you're not we know it we know it because they don't want him to be left alone so again just one little minor thing yeah that just shows you how uh close this group is and they start to realize slowly that why would robbers not just come in and demand the money right away or demand the safe combination right away. Why would robbers take the time to weld doors shut? You know, why would robbers corral everybody and tie them to chairs? So they realize that these people are not here to rob this restaurant. And they ask, Carrie blatantly says, you're not here to rob us, are you? What are you here for? And this is when we get this slow motion montage of the three villains, Steph, begins to lick Cricket's nose and eye. And then Mimi starts to lick inside Hector's ear. And it's just a slow motion montage that goes on for, I don't know, maybe a minute of just close-ups of tongues going into ears and tongues going on noses. And it's just really uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, especially as you're seeing the other people in the group watching on and not being able to do anything. Um, and it it's kind of just... um. Basically, they're kind of just intruding their personal space, just kind of establishing dominance over this group because the group has realized at this point, like, yeah, they're not being robbed. It's an old school pseudo-European gangster style slumber party, in the in Steph's words. <laughs> and um, what they want is not the money, it's the people. And so um, Chewy kind of loses his shit and, uh, uh, and he asks what, he, what they want. And Steph straight up admits that they want, in his words, everything, the whole chimichanga. (laughs) And this is when Winketa basically starts to talk back. And she acknowledges that this is some sick white people only shit. 
and she's screaming at them and she's just don't I love it. She, I love it. This was the, yeah. this was the line delivery I'm talking about here uh that I thought was just a, just stellar because you could tell she was just having a blast. I love she's like I should have known your pasty asses when you were you drew what she said I should have known your dry hump and pasty asses were up to no good. Yeah, this this is some I ain't going down without a motherfucking fire. This is some white people shit. And she's just going off and Mimi looks at her very coldly and says Roz, shut up or you're going to lose your voice. And I didn't get it at first. Like, I had no idea what was coming when she said that. When Keta keeps screaming at her, she goes behind her and starts grabbing her. She's like, just get off me, ho. Don't touch me, ho. Get off me. And all of a sudden, Mimi leans in and bites her throat open and rips her voice box out. And blood is just starts erupting everywhere. It's just so abrupt. I was like, what the fuck? I was not expecting that at all. Yeah. I think they intentionally ensured that the first act of violence was one that completely took you by surprise. Because for the rest of the movie after this point, you are not really prepared for anything. Uh, it, it's no holds bars. Anything can happen. No characters safe. Um, and and just the, the fact that they were just so ma- uh, out of nowhere. Like, uh, Mimi just, without hesitation, just kneels down, like, bends in and fucking bites it out. She shuts chewing on it. And she's smiling about it. And, like, she's playing with it and she's eating it. No, and she's the, eating it. Yeah, and the blood is spraying all over Cricket. I mean, it's gruesome. Yeah, it's pretty disgusting. And, of course, obviously, the group is pet- uh, is just mortified at just what happened that basically this is when the killers admit that they are there to eat everybody. We're going to eat every last one of you every Eve of every hollow. Yeah. This is what we do. Yeah. And, um, Anson does acknowledge that there's a a mission statement that they don't normally eat the people living. And he does point out right off the bat that Mimi is breaking a rule to which she states that rules are meant to be broken. But she's already showing signs of butting heads with Anson, like right off the bat. Yeah, they butt heads the whole movie, which definitely plays into, you know, the ending of the film going the way it does. Chewie is like, what do you what do you guys want? And Steph is like, you know what? We will. I'll let you go if I can basically play William Tell with you. So he takes Chewie, puts him in the chair puts the tangerine in his mouth and puts one on his head and then proceeds to get blindfolded with and have a bow and arrow. He's like, if I shoot it off your head, we'll let you go. So he pulls the arrow back and lets it go. And there's this like cool slow motion shot of the arrow traveling through the air in front of everyone's face as they're watching it go by and it hits an orange or a tangerine, I guess. And so we don't really know what happened until we see like a tangerine fall on the floor and then there is a pullback shot of Chewie with the arrow through his mouth out the back of his head. It went into the tangerine that was in his mouth. So now Chewie is dead. Yeah, within a matter of like a few minutes, they have basically disposed of two characters. Now, when Keta is not dead, she's just bleeding out. But like, let's be real. She has no voice box. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. So it, pretty quickly, they're like getting into the, the rhythm of things with this now. And as I stated before, nobody is safe because, yeah, now Chewie is just dead. And um, Steph states, I missed the target. 
To which uh, Mimi says, but you hit the tree. And with that, they have Yannick, the chef, get up and go to the back with them and require that he starts preparing the bodies for a feast. <laughs> yes, they again, they, they use the, the ploy of we will let you go at the end of the night if you follow our direction. And our direction, are, basically, with each of these bodies you were to make a different cuisine yeah and of course i mean they they chain him up they cha- put a chain around his neck and everything they chain him in the kitchen he, he really doesn't have a choice and he is a good chef like he lists his his experience to uh to steph steph asks him you know hey w- w- you know are you just a one-trick pony or what's your experience and he lists this extravagant experience like his father was one of the top chefs in france and he went to this well-known chef school. He's like, so I got, I have the credentials. He apparently once brought a 57-year-old woman to Climax after eating his beef bourguignon. Yeah. So so that is another thing he has to his name. Apparently, he is that good of a a chef, but he's working at this cantina. And that is the thing, is Steph keeps (laughs) asking him, why are you working here then? This is a little like hole-in-the-wall cantina. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. No, so he actually agrees and he starts basically preparing a meal using Chewy. In the meantime, out in the out in the dining room, the group's still tied to the chair and Anson is proceeding to want to play a game of Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. The center of the cinematic universe. The center, uh, as he says, it's not Brian Cox. <laughs> it is Kevin Bacon. Unless you are an uncultured swine yeah yeah uh, and i love i mean it's it's just so funny like i'm just like where this dialogue is just out of nowhere because like his very first the very first actor actress that he lists because basically if if you win if you can get six degrees of kevin bacon then you get you get a prize and the very first actress he lists off is just so random it's tuesday weld <laughs> and like nobody knows who it is and even hector's like tuesday weld is that a person or a thing <laughs> but like what makes this whole bit really hilarious is how seriously everybody playing everyone is really taking well cricket even comes up with the fucking answer <laughs> and you're like there is no way this girl would know who tuesday weld was and be able to do a six degree <laughs> She's like, now tell me what I fucking want. Yeah. It's like some random movies I've never heard of, but I'm sure they're right because like one of them was a few good men, Will Wheaton. And I don't, it was so random. (laughs) It's so stupid, but I love it. Uh, Yannick is in the back. Meanwhile, preparing the first course, which is loaded nachos. God, yes. (laughs) With like guts in the middle. Like there's a scene of him scooping out like guts from his stomach and like putting it in the center of these nachos like it's salsa one of the best aspects of this film i'm gonna say it right now there are several sequences where yannick is like presenting his like the next course of a meal and characters like the cannibals like sample it and they are they're in heaven they are entranced by everything he crafts i mean like it looks I'm not a cannibal. I have never wanted to eat a human in my my day. But my God, do they make these meals look fucking good. These nachos, every time like someone eats a piece, it like you get like a slow motion of the food item going up to the mouth. And the and the way that like Steph plays off, like rolling his eyes back and just like 
mm, mm, mm. Like, God, they make it look good. Oh, it does. It's like, I was trying to figure out, those are nachos. So these are just, you, you have a whole human being there laying in front of you, and you basically use very little of him to, because it's just a plate. It's just a normal size plate with just some nachos around it with the guts in the middle. But they're loving it. They're loving it. In the meantime, they go out to the group and they're still playing the game and the group's watching them eat these nachos that they know are chewies. And, and now they're still playing the game of Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. And uh, Mimi is getting like really bored with this game. She's like, come on, this is fucking boring. There's a little banter between her and Anson where you can tell the tension is amped up. He even tells her to eat a bag of hot, eat a, eat a, eat a bucket of hot dicks. <laughs> <laughs> His comebacks are so, like, uncultured and childish. Like, for being a cannibal, like, he's such, like, a, a boy. It's so... But then he knows, but these random, like... Because the next actress that he throws out to try to see who's going to win the next round is Lillian Gish. <laughs> Lillian fucking Gish. <laughs> and it's, of course, Carrie is the one that gets it. And she, like, the final one that she, that she <laughs> says that, um, that he that they were in the movie and together was oh my god what was it it's that movie with the dog it's yeah um, I my can't mom re- and i used to watch it when i was a child <laughs> uh uh I mean, I, give me a second i gotta think of it will it's, wheaton um, is in it right isn't that the will wheaton because will wheaton plays the, the the like the nephew in it and even it's, the even the one kitty's like oh will wheaton was did he play the nephew and she's like yes it's so, but it's so specific. It's so, like, it, and she's so intense when she's delivering the, because obviously, like, it's a matter, a matter of survival for her, but she's, like, going through it, like, naming all of these movies. It's so fucking random. And at the same time, Steph is kind of making comments about Winketta. He's like, well, she hasn't answered anything. And, like, they're like, dude, she has no voice box. You know, what do you expect her to do? And and it's funny. That I, I love that. I mean, it's just random shit like this that just made me laugh. And I don't know why. But Hector's like, well, it wasn't fair to her anyways, because she doesn't know any of these damn movies. She's like, she likes urban films. And he's like, if you would have given her something with Morris Chestnut or some other, I can't remember the other. And I love this because she, she perks, she has her fucking throat ripped out, but she hears Morris Chestnut <laughs> and she perks up and she's like, try to say something. <laughs> she's like opening her mouth the movie by the way was Hambone and Hilly and I did own it on VHS it was (laughs) my mother loved Hambone and Hilly but um but yeah no poor Winketa like I mean like what is she gonna do like this is obviously a very like verbal based (laughs) competition like she can't do anything so they basically acknowledge that she's the next loser by default and um and Steph stabs her through the torso with an arrow Yep, uh, kills her because because it's he he tells her it's not fair to you is it Winketta? so here you might as well just you're out stabs her with an arrow at the same time bert comes down and sees them and just starts freaking out and <laughs> literally starts just running through the restaurant from door to door try, and the, the group is just sitting there watching him just scream and run from door to door trying to get out it's just so stupid <laughs> uh, Oh my god, it's so fucking absurd. And they what is the the song that they use for this? It's the um the Ber- the Benny Hill <laughs> like it's just, just to make it that much more absurd, but like he's such a like sad and pathetic individual that he like really can't defend himself in any situation anyways. So his response to this is just such like sad fear. When they go to like hunt him down, Mimi 
Mimi doesn't want to, but Steph tells her that if she goes and, like, you know, wrangles him up, that it can be her squeaky toy for the rest of the night. And so that's how she gives in, and she now hunts She does, but there is, there is some, there is a little exchange between her and Anson, and I could not hear, I, I could not hear what she said to him, because then he says something back, and, like, he threatens her, Right. He's like, don't you ever, you know, if you ever do that, say that again, I'll, you don't ever say it. And, and she's like, don't you threaten me. But I could not hear what he said to her, what she said to him. But this is when she calls him a faggot. She's like, yeah. you're a faggot. And he's like, oh, oh, that's real mature. What else you got in your, 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 your word repertoire there? You're going to call me a honky. What about a mongoloid? You got that in your repertoire? And she's like, no, but it, actually that's my new favorite word. Mongoloid. Yeah. Um, this, this is the point in the film where she really starts just spewing out kind of derogatory offensive commentary for the rest of it. I mean, that's very much just establishing the kind of person that she is. And the brothers even have a little bit of conversation where they talk about that, the fact that she's a, a sadist. You know I mean? That she's just a hostile, violent person, but, but Steph can't resist her British accent. So like, that's the allure about it. And the the two brothers obviously like are going to have a hard time finding another counterpart, a woman who is also a cannibal. So like, of course, Steph is like entranced with her because who else is he going to find? So there's this whole dynamic where Steph is madly in love with this girl. And she's obviously has like a strong arm on him because she's like, he's kind of, she's hot, you know, she's aggressive, she's dominant, and she's apparently a fucking cannibal, but she's way too eager. Like, that's the thing. Even and Anson's acknowledging, he's like, she is way too fucking eager. And the brothers have, like, an, a very, like, understated conversation about it. Like, in the midst of all the murder and the turmoil, there's all these moments where people will have, like, these very calm, collected pieces of dialogue. <laughs> like, it's it's even funnier because of that. They're gonna, they, they take Winketa's body back in the kitchen and they're gonna make a rump roast from her. That's, that's their, that's their initial plan is they're gonna have a rump roast because of course they are, right? This is a nice moment between Cricket and Hector because they're left alone because at this point, Anson has untied Carrie to take him back into the kitchen with them so that she can help them find like the ingredients for, for the recipes that they're making. Since she works there, she'll know where everything is at. So Cricket and Hector are there. And this is when you kind of get a little moment of humanity from Cricket that you might be talking about where she talks about how she's been a really shitty friend to her best friend because... This friend of hers has had a huge crush on this nice guy that just happens to be fat. And all she's done the whole time is make fun of him. And the dude's like, Hector's like, well, okay, but how does that make you a shitty friend? Or what are you so upset about? And it's, it's, she says something that actually is very deep. It's because it shows me that she can be that much more humane. Yes. That basically that she has more, that she's has more humanity than I do. And then she goes on to say that they need to get out of there and that he should have actually done something when the group initially tried to tie them up. And she's like, even makes the comment of the little jab about stand and deliver. She's like, you could, you know, stand and deliver. You could have done something. He's like, uh, that movie's about calculus. (laughs) And then she's like, well, I got, I got some, I got something. I sometimes, you know, it's special occasions like birthdays and weekends and tests and parties. Like basically every day is what she's getting at. She's like, I do a little bit of Coke. 
But I don't know why I do it because I always feel really bad afterwards, but I do it and I keep my stash in my panties with a razor blade to cut it. And he's like, uh, you got a razor blade in your panties? And she's like, yes, my poor decision could be our way out of here. So you know what you got to do. So she kind of pulls him out, like tells him he has to get, get the razor blade out of her panties. But I mean, they're tied to a chair. So the only, re- the only way he's going to be able to do it right is with his mouth. <laughs> and he goes, to which he says, oh, okay, this could get hairy. <laughs> and she goes, I got a Brazilian wax. <laughs> he's like, it's the winner. She's like, shut up and get down. <laughs> just there and listen these two god i just want them to survive the night and i go get married i know oh, i love them they're, they're so cute he is adorable and he's very pretty he is but adorable. he's just like he's like he could tell he plays he perfectly plays like the former bad boy who's trying to like genuinely reform um and he has these what i do like like to counteract the moments of like because we were talking about like some of the humor being socially off but then you also have moments where like he speaks like he's actually very educated like he's very smart and some of the things he says are like very calculated um i love i love his character i think he's a sweetheart um and uh as as the movie progresses i i become sad as we will learn uh (laughs) but um upstairs (laughs) bert is mourning the loss oh my god he keeps this is the one thing i got i kind of got annoyed by with this character i love the bird character but i could have done without some of these montages of him (laughs) talking to his wife's or his girlfriend's picture about how he wants her back and like he's upstairs in the bathroom talking to this picture he's like i totally understand you're gay and that's you're gonna have to learn a whole new language and he's like make acting like it's some like you know I want you to be happy. But meanwhile, he's like, there's like literally like a visual thought bubble of like his former girlfriend and her new lover, like in lingerie, like aggressively making out like on a bed, like with like mist around them. It's, it's funny. It plays, it just playing into how sad and pathetic this character is. But basically he's hiding under a table and Mimi comes in and finds him. (laughs) And there's this whole moment, moment where she demands that he stand up or she threatens to neuter him. He claims that he's a hemophiliac, but then he states he's lying. <laughs> but <laughs> well, because she she gets super yeah. excited about it when he says she's a he, she's like you're a bleeder. No fucking way, you're a bleeder. And he's like, well, no, but not really. But I'm assuming you know if you cut me, I'm gonna bleed or whatever. And and she's like fed up with him. She's like, you are the most pathetic piece of shit I've ever met, and I would never go easy on you. And she goes to punch him and he actually, the one moment in the movie where he actually, actually does something, he actually moves away from her and she punches through the wall and he runs away and she chases him. And this is when we get the song playing in the background during this chase scene. I just died in your arms tonight. Another perfect track. I just died in your arms tonight. It must have been been something Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this this track is like perfect for the energy because they pick a lot of songs that I feel like I would hear in a Mexican cantina. It's either like you're gonna be hearing like Mexican, you know, Spanish mariachi music, or be hearing like I don't know the classic '80s tracks, and it just feels very right for the environment. At times, they actually will like ref- you'll be hearing the song as part of like the soundtrack of what's going on, and then they'll actually like reference it 
in the moment, like in the beginning of the movie when they were playing Tears for Fears, and then he opened up the cooler, he was actually humming along to it, even though it still, it sounded like part of the soundtrack. So like, I, I like how they wean the music into this. It, it feels really uh, authentic. But um, this cuts into like a really fun little chase sequence where, where Mimi like chases him downstairs and she sees Hector like underneath, like he's on his knees in the chair with his head buried in um, Cricket's dress, like, it appears as though he's just eating her out. But obviously, he's really actually looking for the razor. But in order for <laughs> them to, like, you know, convince Mimi to not kill them or what have you, uh, Cricket just starts, like, f- pretending to be orgasming. <laughs> because, like, she's like, what? <laughs> Mimi's response to it is, oh, Last Supper. I can dig it. <laughs> like, and she just goes on her merry way to find uh, to find Bert. We cut back to the kitchen, right? This is when basically Yannick is telling these guys because they, they bring in the body of Chu, right? And they're like, or they bring in the body of Winketa. And Winketa and Chu, uh, Yannick were actually very close as we gathered at the beginning of the movie. So he's really upset that she's dead. And then they want, her, they want him to make some sort of dish out of her although they decide now that rump roast would take too long so they want him to make something with mole sauce out of her body <laughs> the specifics of the recipe mole mole so- which i hate <laughs> Ugh, i hate mole sauce god and they say they, they basically say they want him to get creative yes. how can you get creative with mole sauce it's chocolate Ugh, it's so disgusting if you like mole i'm sorry i don't like gravy so what do i know but they Yannick proceeds to tell them, you know what, dudes, I'm not falling for your tricks. I saw, I've seen your faces. There's no way you're going to let me live at the end of the night. And they're like, well, yeah, that you got a point there, but we can just be on the honor system. And, and Yannick's like, why am I supposed to believe you guys when you're killing off my friends? I spit on you and he starts spitting and, you know, I, I'm not doing anything, you know, I'll do this because I want my friends to kind of have something good come out of their deaths and it's a good recipe or whatever. He spits on the ground at them and they, they're like impressed by his little outburst. They're like, Hey, that was pretty good. You know, he, uh, even the spitting, you know? Yeah. They're like, he's so hardcore, he is. which Yannick is hardcore. Like Yannick, it's, you can tell that Yannick's character has seen some shit. Um, and I love his sensitivity. Like he is, he, he is so affected by um, uh, Winketa's death, and like he's even crying over her body. Like you see a tear drop down on it and everything. Uh-huh. Um, but this is kind of when Steph pulls him aside and says, "You know, get creative. I want to see what you can do with this next course, but do not use basil, or else I will turn you inside out." <laughs> and so Yannick takes that and he remembers it and he requests uh, a list of supplies to make his next recipe. Um, and the list of supplies he writes down and he gives it to Carrie, who takes Anson back to the pantry. And this kind of starts the ball rolling with a plan. And I love the direction things go here. It's just, it's as though this movie couldn't get any more entertaining. Like it definitely does. There are a few long-winded conversations, but if you can get through those, I promise you, it pays off. So um, when Hector insults Mimi in Spanish, she counters with a line where she says, I'm sorry, I don't speak poverty. We mentioned that earlier. It's just one more of those awful things she says to people. Uh, but then she no- she knocks Bert out and 
uh, basically demands that they keep an eye on him. And if he starts to get up, they call out for her or else she holds them accountable. She then leaves. She does not notice that Hector has procured the razor blade at this point and is sawing through his uh, restraints. We are in the pantry with Anson and, and Carrie. And she has the list. And Anson's making a big deal about how all the words are misspelled. Like he can't even read what some of it says. He's like, what the hell? What What, what do you think salt is? Salt. And she's like, uh, salt? And he's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So what about pomegranates? What's pomegranates? And he, everything's misspelled. And he's like, oh, he's just laughing. He's like, this dude doesn't know how to spell. And she's like, well, it could be because he's under a lot of pressure and you just are you just killed his friends and are asking you to cook them. He's like, oh, yeah, that could be it. And he just keeps bitching about the pantry being un- or unorganized. He's like, this is a fucking mess. Herbs are with spices and there's boxes mixed together. He just, it's it's funny. They do do a, a lot of cut back and forth at this point. I just want to acknowledge they get really creative with their cuts. They do a lot of back and forth, back and forth. We like to stay linear with our reviews, but it will be very difficult to, to do that if we literally follow the cut pattern. So I'm going to kind of dwell within a moment and go kind of moment to moment with these scenes because some of these happen over the course of three cuts or so, I would say. Um, but they throughout the course of the, of the pantry, he turns to her and she's looking very intense. <laughs> and he says, you got some Manchurian candidate shit going on? I really love that line. <laughs> and she, she basically takes this as a moment to communicate to Anson that she's crushing on him a little bit. And she slowly starts to seduce him. Um, She starts putting her finger in her mouth and sucking on it and telling him that while it's depraved what he's doing (laughs) and while bearing witness to her friend's grisly execution to discard her for life, she finds him fiercely erotic and he must be German. <laughs> and then she puts her finger in his mouth after sucking on it. She's she's knows she knows exactly how to play this fucking fiddle. And I say good on Carrie for making this move. Yeah, I like that. She's like, you must be German. He's like, I am. I'm a German American. How did you know that? <laughs> a German American. And she's like, I could sense it. Yeah, and she she actually kisses him. And, uh, you know, pretty passionately. And then she takes, by, even bites his little clown nose off and spits it out. And she spits it out. She's like, I hate that bitch Mimi and how she talks down to you. And he's like, yeah, she is a bitch. She's a mean person, isn't she? And she's like, yeah, but you're not. You're a lover. And he's like, yeah. You're romantic. You're romantic. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so he's like, yeah, you're right. And this is when he says, you know, he might not be cut out for this anymore. Uh, he's just not feeling it. And he's like, it's just becoming... You know, too burdensome. And it's it's been different since uh, we brought Mimi on board, and it's just becoming harder and harder to find places without windows or security cameras to even do this anymore. So this might be his last time. Yeah, it's an interesting approach to have this character as one of the three focal villains, also having these aspects of like I don't want to say regret or remorse, but like he's starting to question it, and um, I think that. The character of Carrie doesn't have a lot of dialogue throughout the course of the initial like hostage sequence and everything going on because you can tell she's intelligent, you can tell she's listening, and you can tell she's kind of soaking up what's going on around her. So you can observe and acknowledge that by this point, 
she has a grasp on kind of who this guy is, what his weaknesses are, and the tensions that exist between him and Mimi. And she very much starts to poke at that. And while the, those tensions already exist, she is adding fuel to that fire. And and Carrie's overall approach to handling this is very well played. I mean, we've seen definitely seen this happen in, in stories before where people feign, like, romance or interest in order to, like, you know... <laughs> get things to turn, the tide to turn in their direction. But this is a very well-played piece of dialogue. It's a very well-played moment. And it, it, it is very um, consistent with the story. Well, you know, in the meantime, we forgot to mention that Carrie, Carrie does figure out that someone is allergic to basil through the the, the through the ingredient list that um, Yannick wrote out. So she has to, when she's in the pantry, she has to get the sneak the basil out of the pantry so she right away knows because she even asked for she's like who the hell would be allergic to basil and we cut back to uh hector and cricket and actually this is another sweet moment cricket or hector asks cricket out on a date he's like hey if we get out of here alive you want to go on a date with me and she's like oh well yeah she basically says yeah she makes some comment about him being old enough to have or born i can't remember something about um, Menudo, which I'm assuming Menudo. she was a jab at his being older than she was, but she does say yes, that she will go on a day with him. And he's like, awesome. So these two are starting to get, you know, be cute together. And you really want to see them end up together, uh, because they're endearing. They, they play well off of each other, but unfortunately that's not what's in store. Oh, don't tell them yet. No, don't we tell won't them yet. Tell them. Our listeners don't know. <laughs> uh, we cut back to the kitchen. Bert now is in the kitchen hanging upside down. He doesn't know where he's, he's confused. He's just hanging upside down in the kitchen. He's like saying something. He's like, oh, guys, guys, where am I at? I'm feeling like, excuse me, sir. Yeah, excuse me. It's uh, like they're going to answer. I'm going to bleed to death. And they're like, Shh, be quiet. And he's like, okay. Uh. <laughs> he's he's so funny. <laughs> the whatever the dish made from Winketta is served to the group. And <laughs> oh they my, are fucking in heaven. And here's another <laughs> use of a song. Walking on sunshine. Hey. Whoa. And tell them to feel good. As they're piling Winketta into their mouths. Just Oh my god. <laughs> they are they're dancing. Like they've never had anything human before that was this delicious you can tell this is a first for them and uh and 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 steph is dancing he's backing it up and um i mean i gotta say again i'm not cannibal but if this was put in front of me it would be hard saying no it looks phenomenal props to the chef yeah 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 you know and that's the thing is how often are you gonna find a chef that is like so eager to make these dishes out of humans i'm assuming their past endeavors probably didn't go this well where they actually found a chef that was so meticulous with his recipes and so creative with his recipes they basically found the gordon ramsay of cooking humans because the presentation is spot on it's very nice looking these dishes are very nice looking and steph steph acknowledges it steph is like you've got to tell me what you did before this he keeps asking uh yannick yeah if it was me i asked would have been just not even. I would have just cut a, somebody's finger off and threw it on a plate and been like, "Here." I wouldn't even be able to cut the finger yeah, off. Well, like, oh, <laughs> yeah. God! Like, it would be so hard for me to even get through that part of the process, let alone the preparation, the tenderizing. I can't even imagine. But yeah, he seems unfazed by it. Oh, he's unfazed. But now Anson 
tell Steph that they need to talk. So they go into the pantry together and right away, basically Carrie is left with Mimi and you right away, Mimi gives her this gaze. Like she knows exactly what's up. Uh, it's, it's pretty, I, I really did like that moment because Mimi has done the exact same thing that Carrie's doing as we find out. That's how she got. Yes. Yeah, this is how she got involved with this group. She was supposed to be an intended victim. Okay. And she turned the tables. It just so happens that she is a fucking psychopath. Carrie is playing along to try to save her life and her friend's life. But Mimi is an actual fucking psychopath. So Anson and Steph are in the pantry and they basically have a little confession. Anson says, Hey, this girl's came onto me. She, uh, kissed me and put her finger in my mouth and they're like all excited about it. And even Steph's like, Oh dude, she kissed you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is when, Anson admits that it's been really difficult since bringing Mimi on, that she's changed the the dynamic. And this is when we get to the flashback of the year prior. They did the same thing at another restaurant and Mimi was a waitress and they killed her boss and cut his head off. And Mimi was supposed to be one of their victims, but she was like, thank fucking God you killed him. Now give me his fucking head. She takes his head and starts playing with it and, you know, talking in her English accent. And ever since that day, her and uh, Steph have been an item and she's been part of their little trio. Um, and they've just been waiting a year for this night because this is her, basically it's her maiden voyage uh, doing this cannibalistic ritual murder. So Steph is like, just go easy on her. This is her first time. I know she's a little ex- too excited, but it's her first time. Just, just let's give her some slack. And as they leave the pantry, they're like, hey, Hey, Roz, thanks for, you know, the great food. And we get a shot of poor Roz's dead body. It's just basically her, her top half, her legs are missing. Her guts are askew. She's holding like, she's even holding a little pint of ice cream, the little pint of ice cream that, uh, Anson bought at the convenience store at the middle, at the beginning of the movie. I feel bad for poor <laughs> wink at her Roz. Anson says he's like he says to Steph he's like oh it looks like you had some fun with Roz and like they're like talking like really like hearty all this like you get this like really like big stinger like, and it cuts to her body and it's so so over the top gory like it is so much gorier than it even needed to be but like it, it's it's just to remind you oh by the way this is also a violent horror movie <laughs> We do get a shot back in the kitchen of Carrie passing Yannick the basil because he's now he's making chili. Anson now has kind of amped up his psychoticness because he takes poor Wink at his feet, who, which look disgusting. Like one's all bloated because she she even says at the beginning of the movie she has, uh, what did she say? She has bunions really bad. So these feet are like the worst look. They're all gnarly and bloated. and Look, her chair. At another point, Steph is like, it took me five minutes to to get her orthopedic shoe off of her foot. Five minutes. <laughs> it's these little one lines. They're so fucking good. But yeah, so um, he takes the feet and this scene is like <laughs> so disgusting. It's so gross. Um, he, uh, he puts the feet down in front of um, in front of Cricket and Hector and he's basically like the next game basically whoever eats through to the bone gets a bathroom break 
and a shot of Bailey's. Only he's informed that they don't have Bailey's, so he upgrades it uh, to Frangelico. And so he's he's insisting that they eat the, these these feet, and he's like, "Look at that toe! Look at that big toe! Don't you want that big toe? Come on, try it! You've never had it!" And everybody is just repulsed by it. Yeah, and he's but he does say Carrie's like talk, Carrie's like he's like. Uh, come on, honey. I feel like you're you're not as excited. You need to support me here. I feel like you're you're not into this. And so she's like, "Yeah, eat it, you cunt. <laughs> eat that foot, you cunt." To Kirkin. Kirkin's like, "You fucking bitch. You traitor, bitch. I hate you." And then she's like, "Go ahead, Hector. Eat it. You've probably eaten worse than you probably had worse things in your mouth in prison." <laughs> and to that, Anson and her just. Anson just starts laughing and they're laughing at each other. And we see that all of a sudden Anson gets hit in the head with the foot because Hector has cut the ties off his hands and grabbed the foot and hit, hit, hit Anson in the head with it and knocked him out. Yeah. And he then proceeds to take both feet and just beat him with these feet. Um, it, it is, it, <laughs> it's a really funny moment because they're like laughing at each other in slow motion. Like, <laughs> and then you just see the foot make contact with his head and immediately Carrie's face just <laughs> goes like straight face. Like she's so in on it, you know, uh, it's really well played. Carrie's quick to suggest that they escape through the, uh, the AC unit upstairs. So uh, Hector r- runs to the back. He's getting prepared to fight uh, the remaining captors. Um, and when he runs to the back, Anson sits up. He like quickly recovers and sits up. And so Carrie has to pretend as though she, like, was not in on it. And he's like, oh, my God. Yeah, he just hit you out of nowhere. <laughs> and so uh, so Hector comes back in the room, and Anson grabs the axe, and he basically goes to fight. But Anson is like, oh, we're going to do this. Or um, Hector's like, we're going to do this down here in front of these ladies. Let's take it upstairs. Let's take it up there to what Anson deems their Thunderdome. Yeah, in the meantime, Yannick is feeding Steph the chili. That he made and Steph again is loving it. Every every bite of it, he's he's just loving it. Mimi's in there and she's like, she's now she's bored because her squeaky toy Bert has basically gone unconscious again. So he's not reacting to anything she does. And uh, Yannick is like, hey, come try this chili, and she doesn't want to. And this is when Steph is like, Mimi get over here and try this damn chili real aggressively. And she, instead of trying the chili, she storms out. And as she goes out into the main lobby, she catches Ter- Carrie untying cricket and just starts laughing hysterically. And she's like, I knew you were full of shit. I did the same thing last year. She drops her English accent too, because she really doesn't have an English accent. She's faking the English accent because it turns stuff on. Yeah, so this whole time she has been brainwashing and manipulating Steph in this relationship only to help appease her own, like, violent tendencies. It's actually very twisted. And Mimi is definitely, like, all three of them are formidable foes, but Mimi is the one who is actually, like, fucking snapped. You know, she really, and I, and again, going back again to all of her dialogue and everything, I think that all hints to that, that she's kind of just one step over the edge more so than the rest of them. Um, but she gets up on the stage, she unzips her costume a little bit, and she basically announces disco, bloodbath, boogie! Like, she basically, like, 
announces this gigantic fight that's about to happen. Uh, and it cuts into this like massive sequence where all of these things start to unfold at the same time. It's really well done, but to <laughs> dissect it in a review situation, it's difficult. Like we gotta take it, yeah. We gotta take it moment by moment. Yeah, I mean, we'll just kind of briefly highlight what goes on because it's to try to get into every little detail would be cuts back to the kitchen. Steph is now having an allergic reaction. His throat's closing up. He's sweating profusely. He's breaking out. He has realized that Yannick has put basil in his chili and he is very upset. He is like, I don't know. How could you do that to me? You know, I trusted you and you still need to tell me how you why you work at this restaurant. So Yannick basically tells him the story about how he killed somebody. It's hard to understand what he's saying because of the accent he's using. It's a heavy French accent. So I was trying to understand what he's saying, but it's something about the last person he worked with wanted some sort of fish, but they demanded that the skin stay on and it was a poisonous fish. So he ended up like poisoning his last person that he worked for so nobody would hire him was that what you gathered with a puffer it was a, a puffer, puffer fish he used a puffer fish and he was able to discreetly place the venom in in the food so that they didn't notice it so it hit gradually and that's alluding to him placing the basil because you know basil has a very specific flavor profile basil does have a distinct flavor yeah. and so he was able to hide it in this chili uh so that that stuff didn't notice it and so Steph basically just becomes irate and launches into this physical fight. So it's basically Steph is fighting Yannick in the kitchen. Mimi is fighting the girls in the in the main like uh, dining area. And upstairs in the quinceanera party room, you have Hector fighting Anson. And it is like just cutting back and forth. It is fucking wild. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Hector is kicking Anson's ass. The girls... Uh, are, are basically, like, getting the best of Mimi for a moment. Uh, you even have Cricket, like, jumping up and, like, jumping up on her back. And Mimi's like, you fucking cockroach. And she's like, I'm a Cricket! <laughs> and um, and uh, Steph is trying to chose Yannick, but he literally takes, like, a wine screw, like, a screw. Cork a cork screw. screw. And he, like, he, like, stabs it into his temple. <laughs> like, it is so violent. This sequence is so crazy, but it's so fucking fun. My, Mimi rips out a chunk of Cricket's hair, yanks her crown out and rips out a chunk of her scalp and hair. Anson and Hector are on the floor and they bite each other. Like Hector bites a chunk out of Anson's arm, I think. And, and Hector or Anson bites his leg. And then you cut back to the kitchen and now Steph has is holding Yannick's head down and scraping his cheek with a cheese shredder, which is looks painful as fuck. Oh my god, it's everything is just so violent. Yannick like turns on the stove and like takes a boiling pot of water and like throws it at him, and he's like, and his response, he's just like, ah! well, his, like yeah. Well, it looks painful. So his face starts <laughs> bubbling, turns immediately bright red, and he's just like freaking out. Cricket goes to there, then we cut back. Cricket goes to hit Mimi with a wine bottle as she's attacking Carrie, but. Mimi moves out of the way at the last minute, last second, and she hits Cricket instead, or hits, I'm sorry, she hits Carrie instead, knocks Carrie out. And then you get this moment where 
basically cricket is like okay this means i'm gonna die right and and mimi's like well yeah and cricket's only sort of response is can she die without any more blood and mimi's like yeah i think i can handle that now i would have this moment didn't make a lot of sense to me because cricket's character seemed like a fighter and it seems like she gave up pretty quick. I would have been charging that bitch still. Trust me, I would not just sit there and be like, oh, you can kill me now, but do it with no blood. Fuck no, I'd be charging that bitch. I'd be grabbing shit off the floor. I'd be grabbing bottles. She basically gives in to her death. And I just didn't think that that fit the character of the whole film. The whole film, she's a fighter. She's trying to come out. She's trying to get out. And then for her at the very final moment to be like, yeah, just go ahead and kill me but just don't do it with any blood. I'm like, no, I needed a fight. I needed to yeah. see a fight. Yeah. I agree with that. It's, it's, a, it's a sad, it's a, um, uh, kind of a bummer ending for a feisty character. There is the moment where, where, um, Mimi grabs the tiara. She's wearing and literally scalps part of her head. Like she literally rips a chunk of her scalp off. Like, I mean, she, at least she's, she goes down fighting but it's finally at the point where she's like i'm exhausted i give up <laughs> like that's basically what happens and it is a bummer because like first of all i didn't want this character to die second of all i would have wanted her to have died a little more like heroically but what happens is uh carrie comes to and the first thing she sees is the aquarium from earlier that that cricket actually like referenced you know that's gonna be the death of her and cricket is fully like bent over and submerged within it she's just floating there the poor thing um so yeah cricket is now dead it's such a bummer but meanwhile upstairs because things are still going on upstairs there's a battle and just going down between um anson and hector that like basically anson has been brought to his knees because you know hector is like a boxer this is what he does but because hector gets cocky and he makes a comment y'all ever seen roadhouse because he's about to do the famous roadhouse kick anson's on his knees he looks up and he sees this massive like ventilation fan in the ceiling and he just starts laughing and he grabs hector by his legs and he just stands up and he lifts him full body into this fan and he just starts pouring blood everywhere like these deaths one after another are so fucking gruesome and uh so now hector's dead and it's like oh my god these guys were so cute why but like whatever i get well it. not only that but now we get back into the kitchen yannick is able to get free from steph and the and the cheese grater and stab him in a ch in the chest with an ice pick which in turn infuriates Steph. He he slams Yannick against the counter, grabs his head, and twists it around. Not once, but twice. Like fully, 360 degrees around twice. That looked fucking gnarly, honestly. That was a good effect. Yeah, I mean, let's take a moment to acknowledge that I think this movie, people categorize it comedy horror because it's very funny. But this movie contains some of the more graphic violence I've seen in a movie in a while. Like, the, okay, you're about to have a moment where you have Steph, like, they, they stumble upon Steph, you see Steph's, like, face after this massive battle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. He looks fucking wrecked. Like, it is disgusting. And, like, 
this movie, you know, as, as much of a black comedy as it is, it does success. It does succeed as a horror film in the sense that, like, when a death happens, it is a big death almost every time. Every single person that gets killed in this movie goes out painfully. It looks horrible, and the fact that they do it to the extent where he doesn't like drop dead right away which is I don't think what would happen. He actually, his head is twisted again, fully around twice, not once, twice. And then he like, you can see his head is backwards, but his eyes are like wide. And he takes like a couple steps forward before like collapsing. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty disturbing. Honestly, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So Carrie, the Carrie wakes up and sees crickets in the fish tank. She uh, takes a shot from a from a tequila bottle of tequila, and it's really funny because Carrie looks at Mimi, who's like standing up on the counter above her, and she's like, "You know, it's hard to take you seriously with that giant camel tongue." Oh my god! And <laughs> Mimi is so offended. Oh, she's like, "You, you bitch! I have a long labia; it runs in my family." <laughs> For somebody who deals out so much like violence and like awful statements to people, Mimi is someone who can deal with it, but she cannot take it at all. She's a—I dare I say she's a pussy, pussy cat, but she's a pussy. She can't take any form of an insult or anything. She takes it so personally. Yeah, she does. It's funny. I have a long labia; it runs in my family, and uh, so she is angered. So she charges at Carrie with the hedge clippers that she's been carrying the entire movie. We didn't acknowledge that, but she has these head shears at the same time. Carrie acts really quickly, breaks the bottle on the side of the bar. And as Mimi is charging her, stabs her right in the chest. Thank fucking God. This bitch is finally dead with this broken beer bottle, looks her right in the eyes and said, this is what it feels like to die. Now you and your big pussy, Go to hell. <laughs> it's a, it is a satisfying death. And then she takes the, the, um, the garden shears and she scalps Mimi and she lifts up the hair and she says, this is for Cricket. And I'm like, fuck yes, this is for Cricket. Uh, I love this moment for Carrie. Carrie, like, Carrie is a badass final girl. Like, she steps it up oh yeah she does. anson comes out and sees that carrie has has, has killed mimi and, and carrie's response is yeah she's uh she's she got a little um what did, what did she say she got a little great too grating tonight and anson's like yeah yeah okay cool so they go into the kitchen <laughs> he re- he does reveal at that moment like they have this weird awkward moment where like she's not sure if he's gonna be mad but he's surprisingly okay with it and she's like, um, where's Hector? How's Hector? And he's like, oh, I, I took care of him. And she's like, oh, yeah, good. <laughs> like, you know, because she, she has to play along as though she's cool with it. And then she's like, how's your arm? And he's like, oh, yep, looks like he uh, he got that pretty good. That's my bone. And you just see, like, you just see a giant piece of his arm is just, like, busted out. Like, he got his ass kicked. So, like, he's definitely, like, I mean, his, his teeth are knocked out. He's still walking, but like he he's very injured at this point. <laughs> but okay, so they go into the they go into the kitchen and they see um this is funny. This, this is, is hilarious. They see um Yannick's body with his head twisted around. And if you didn't get this joke, I was like, how fucking clever is this? There is a it's so fucking obscure, but it makes perfect sense. If you remember the early nineties rap duo. 
the young teen, they were young, like 12 year old crisscross. Mm-hmm. Remember their whole thing was they used to wear their clothes backwards. <laughs> right. Right. So you have Yannick's head twisted back so that it looks like his clothes are on backwards. And Anson walks in and looks over and he's like, crisscross will make you. And Carrie does her little <laughs> jump, jump. <laughs> I love how Carrie like has to play along with everything, but you can yeah. tell she's so uncomfortable. <laughs> like, it was so funny. funny. And uh, they then they then see this is my personal favorite part of the movie because it's just so absurd. They just see stuff laying like he's obviously oh dying. He's on the edge of death, and he's laying against like this the fridge just. His face is brutalized, and um, and Anson's like, "Oh, hey, buddy! Oh, it looks like uh, it looks like he got you pretty good, huh? Big old pumpkin head. Oh, you, but you're okay. You're good, right? Like he's like reassuring him, and like and, and, and stuff is like, he's oh, first of all, he says, "I gotta tell you something that's gonna be really hard, okay." Mimi's dead, and and Steph is just like, Whoa. he can't say anything because he's like having an allergic reaction, and so then he tries to explain to Anson what happened. <laughs> his tongue is like so oversized, it's swollen, he, it's hanging out like, of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Anson's trying to translate it and like he's trying to say the word basil, but like he just can't get it out. And finally, Carrie's like, he's trying to tell you that I gave him the base. <laughs> like yeah. Carrie just admits it because it's so pathetic. Um and with that she just starts like cutting down Bert. Like she doesn't even really try At the first time I saw this I thought this was a bad decision but I kind of get what's going on. She's not even trying to kill them at this point because these guys are so like they have both they're pathetic. <laughs> yeah, well obviously Steph is on the brink of it. Uh Anson is her I mean, he's not going to, so yeah, she's finally, she, he, he, because he's like, what could he possibly be saying? I don't get what he's saying. And she's like, well, he's saying that I'm the only one that could have given him the basil. And right away, Steph starts shaking his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, you bitch, you lied to me. And she's like, uh, yeah, I wouldn't even, what did she say? I, I, there's no way I would, I would be into a dickless pathetic psychopath loser like you as she's cutting birth down and his only response is i have a dick <laughs> and then he's like i need your help he's, he's like help oh me. this is funny too i love well it's kind of sad <laughs> yeah. because stuff you know like he, whatever he's dying in in in, in uh, anson's arms like on the floor and Anson, they're crying like it's obviously that he's and he, she's walking out with bird he's like i need your help you're a paramedic right he needs, what does he need? And he's, she's like, he needs a tracheotomy. And he's like, can you do it? You're a paramedic. And she turns around. She's like, yeah, I don't start till Monday <laughs> and walks out. And poor Steph does die. And Anson or uh, Carrie and Bert are like running up the stairs and Carrie takes out a pocket knife and Bert's like, what the fuck? What are you going to do with that? He has a fucking axe. Bert's commentary throughout this whole sequence is... Oh, it's hilarious. It's First of it's all, hilarious. it's very Jewish. <laughs> but like, he, he's like, what are you going to do? Oh, what are you going to do now? Oh, he's got a fucking axe. <laughs> and then so then she goes and she grabs like the crossbow. The crossbow. He's like, do you have the instruction <laughs> manual for that? <laughs> he's like, I hope there's a manual. Like, he's just like... He's do you not, know how to use that? He's not doing anything at all. He's like, oh, if that goes wrong, you're going to shoot your eye out. Like, it just... Yeah, he's yeah. like, he's so... He's doing nothing to help whatsoever, and they hear Anson's like scream of agony that clues them in that he is 
snapping and he's going to come get them. So she grabs a crossbow and she loads it. And <laughs> and Anson comes in slow motion, like jolly, like running at them. His limp, broken arm bobbling, holding the axe. He's got this big smile on his face. To La Bamba. <laughs> la 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 Bamba. Again, the, whoever fucking scored this movie and picked the soundtrack needs an award because this is a moment where like it just adds so much more energy to it and humor like let's be real it's very funny for being a very dark moment but so he comes closing in on them and then right as he right before he's about to reach them she shoots the arrow and it goes right to his stomach like and the music stops and he just drops to his knees he drops the axe and he's like you killed my brother and then i will say bert has a good line here he goes she killed both brothers um, it, it, it's a, and it's another badass moment for Carrie. Like, seriously, she's just knocking him out at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she stabs him through the, shoots him with the arrow, and she goes over to him and pushes him down. Yeah, she says something to him. Oh, she tells him to burn in hell and pushes him down, and they proceed to run upstairs. She takes Bird, and they run upstairs. And in the meantime, Bird is still, like, whining about, you know, his girlfriend, and, like, and Carrie's like, you can find another date, Bert. Come on, Bert. We got to get going. And he's like, she's like, what about you? And she's like, not me, Bert. He's like, you said that. You said that so fast. And she's, like, kicking out the uh, air conditioner, and she gets it kicked out and she's throwing stuff down the stairs and stuff. So Bert comes over and she's like, come on, Bert, we got to get going. So he goes and crawls out head first out of this window, but it's a two story window, right? It's you have to, you, you, how they did this without, well, yeah. I was going to say how they did this without killing themselves, but, uh, they go up, Bert goes out head first and he has this like, um, hallucination of his girlfriend down there telling him to come to her and Carrie's trying to tell him, Bert, you got to brace yourself for the fall, but he's having this hallucination. So he just like goes out and lets himself drop. And you just hear this splat. And she's like, Bert. <laughs> and she looks down and it's basically, he's on the pavement head first, blood everywhere, brains everywhere. But smiling. But smiling. He is, <laughs> has a big old smile on his face because he, he went out in the arms of his lover or so he thought. Um, but now it's just her. Like literally this whole cantina has been slaughtered. Except Anson's now still alive, kind of coming up the stairs. Yeah. And so she starts climbing out through this, this air vent and he just grabs under her leg and he just chomps down uh, and rips out a gigantic chunk of flesh out of her calf. It looks so fucking painful. It's bleeding all over the place. Um, but she does manage to launch herself and drop to the ground. Yeah, not head first, luckily. But next to Burr, and she looks over and you see his brains have like splattered out of his head, but he has that big old smile on his face. And she's like, Burr, I'm taking your moped. <laughs> so she gets on the moped to get ready to drive away. And this is funny too, because Anson is trying to get out the window, but he can't because the arrow is, you know, through him. So the arrow is catching on the window, <laughs> so he can't get out. And uh, as he, as she's driving away, she's like, I beat you, motherfucker. I beat you. She goes out into the street and immediately is hit by a paramedic truck. <laughs> <laughs> and you see it. Like, it's a, it's a well done moment. Oh, my God. Oh my God. And, he, <laughs> and Anson's up in the window just laughing. Ha, 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 ha. You and, know? <laughs> and so the, the, the paramedics get out and it is, it is James, um, 
Rodriguez, 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 yeah, and um, and I can't remember his name, but his co-star from Psych, like they made like a cameo appearance as the two paramedics who are both very stoned, <laughs> like and they're like, oh, we're gonna get in so much trouble, and so like she's like laying there and she's like, am I gonna die? And meanwhile, the one paramedic is like slowly like walking around to get like all of the equipment needed, and then they bring it over and they go to like hoist her up, lift her up onto the the gurney, and they like grab her by her arms and legs, and you just like hear her back like snap it looks so oh i know so painful poor 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 carrie like after they all are de- they definitely yeah they definitely do not follow proper cold protocol when they lift her off the ground they just both just grab grab her at each end pull her off the ground and you hear this crack and in the meantime as they're loading her in she looks up and anson's not in the window anymore she's like he's gone he's gone and they put her in the the ambulance and drive away and then we cut to precisely 54 days later. So now it's Christmas time because the movie takes place on Halloween. So this is Christmas time. You got some Christmas music playing in the background. Anson's car is parked outside the same little convenience store that the film opened in that Roger did not like. So he's not going to like this part either. But, but, uh, and he is pumping himself up. He's dressed real nice. Uh, He's in a suit. He has a rose. He's also talking to Stefan who now happens to be a head on a stick. Which is a callback to earlier in the movie. Which is a callback because Stefan did say, if you died, I would pickle your head and put it on a stick. And bring you with me everywhere. (laughs) Yes. So Anson did that for him. He has, it's basically Steph's head pickled this head on a stick. (laughs) And he throw. I just love, he talks to me. He's like, okay, but then he just tosses it in the back seat. (laughs) (laughs) He then proceeds to, yeah, he goes into the, the shop where you see Sarah Silverman, Bethany Lynn Goldsby, uh, is, is working now in a full Christmas attire. And she doesn't recognize him at first, but when she does, um, she's she like, where have you been? What's wrong? Your arm is in a cast. Because he still looks beat up. I mean, he's scarred up. He's missing a tooth. And he basically starts to say, like, oh, if, you know, um, I do need to communicate with you that I am now living off of a colonoscopy bag. Uh, possibly for the rest of my life. Like, he goes through all of these th- issues that he has, but he's, he then basically says, um, would you like to share a gelato with me? Two spoons? And she goes, two spoons, and she lifts them up. And they have this weird, like, little romantic moment where the, these two strange, quirky people find love together. And and I guess, I think in a way he learned maybe he didn't need this violence and cannibalism. I'm liking, I'm thinking, and he's now he's found like a normal yet strange person that he's going to be with. Um, and that's kind of like the closure that you feel for this character until you see this moment where it pans back and you see that there's someone watching them taking photos. And lo and behold, it's a beaten and bruised but still kicking carry with a camera snapping photos smirking and smiling because you know she's about to get her motherfucking revenge yes absolutely and the film ends and the closing credits are kind of funny it's 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 the mexican restaurant menu and each of the uh cast members each of the actors has their picture on a menu page but it's like their death scene (laughs) and it says something like it'll say like carnita platter and you'll see like you know, the headless, you know, picture of whoever the cast member is. So it's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, so we, we, are, we are left thinking or, or with the heavy impression that uh, Carrie is getting her revenge. And rightfully fucking so. 
Rightfully fucking so. I wonder if she's probably going to mind pressure when she was probably going to kill Bethany first because that would really hurt Anson. I'm curious if that's And that's why she was taking and that's why she was taking pictures because she knows what Anson looks like. She doesn't need pictures of him. She was taking pictures more so to get pictures of Bethany so that she could track her down easier. That's what I thought. Yeah. What an interesting approach that would be for a sequel. Yeah, right. Honey yeah. Down Sarah Where Sylvie. she becomes the villainous. Um, Isn't but, there a I movie mean, called Finding Sarah Silverman? That could be the there, well, there's, there's a Saving Silverman. Saving, okay, well, this could be Finding, uh, sa- <laughs> finding <laughs> Saving Sarah Silverman. Right? It's, it's going to be a remake called Saving Silverman. <laughs> it's going to be about you and me. I'm reluctant because I'm not as big of a fan. But you and me going there and finding her and saving her <laughs> before before Sutton Foster gets her musical hands on her. But yeah, that is, that is gravy. And you know what? I'm going to say that... What a fun movie. It's a difficult one to, to analyze because, my God, so much happens in this movie. It is a constant barrage of just co- like commentary and one-liners and pop culture references. and It's just a, just a barrage of information, to be honest. And it's really fucking fun to watch. I can't recommend this more for, like, if you're looking to get stoned and having a good night, oh, my God, absolutely. But... Reviewing this one was difficult. Not that we didn't do a good job. We always do. But like, it's just, it is, this movie moves at a very fast pace. Yeah. It's fun. I really wonder why it kind of went under the radar when it came out with the cast. And just, it's, it's such a fun movie. It kind of reminded me of another movie um, that came out. I think that got maybe a little bit more attention, but not, 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 much more, but I think it's more well known than this. Can I try to guess it? Which one? I was going to guess that you were going to say Club Dread. No, I was going to say Cheap Thrills. I've never seen Cheap Thrills with uh, Ethan Embry, Pat Healy, uh, Sarah Paxton. I love Sarah Paxton. Oh yeah, yeah. It's basically they break into this home and play like it starts out very innocent, like they they're playing like games with the homeowner starts out very innocent and it just gets progressively more and more dark. It's it's a it's a horror comedy as well. It came out around the same time. I remember that getting a little bit more attention. Uh maybe because the cat I don't know. I feel like this has a a cast though that's pretty well known. So I don't know what the deal was. How was this distributed? Did it just go to straight to digital uh, yeah yeah and you know i will say like when you look at this like the promotional art looks kind of amateur like which is surprising to me like yeah it does it, it does. doesn't look like it really got even like the opening credits like while fun like the title sequences and everything are look very like hand-drawn animation like it doesn't look like it had like the layer of gloss that a lot of these bigger productions get with when like within the finalization and distribution and promotional budget you know um, so yeah, I'm curious as to why maybe they just thought like it was too obscure because it's such a dark comedy. It's such a black comedy. Like the comedy is very prevalent in this. It's not like subtle. It's not like ready or not humor. This is like laugh out loud humor, but it's also like extreme gore. So it's like, you're trying to find an audience that wants both. And that's difficult. But listen, if you, if you like either, I would say if you're a comedy fan or you're a gore fan, like check this movie out. Maybe you'll love it. Maybe you won't. But um, this is a film that I went into completely blind the first time I saw it. And I was not expecting anything. And I came out of it thinking like, oh my God, what did I just watch? I will watch it again. And over like the two weeks following that, I watched it six times. Six. 
Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, guys. No, seriously, I had never heard of it, as I've said that. And so I watched it going in really knowing nothing about it. I kind of read the plot synopsis that was popped up on 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 Tubi for it. I was like, okay, we'll see what happens. And I really enjoyed it. I, I watched it four times in the last three days. I really, really enjoyed it. Like I said, there are, I, it takes a lot for me to like laugh out loud at something, but I probably laughed out loud more at this movie than I have in any movie in probably a couple of years. And I'm not lying. Like I thoroughly thought that this film had some of the funniest stuff I've seen in a while. And it's just very subtle. It's not even like in your face stuff. And maybe it's just my sense of humor. Like I cracked up at that crisscross reference. Yeah. Uh, I cracked up at several of Gabourey's Sibidae's scenes. Um, it's just the humor is, is it's the humor is black. It's dark. And like I said, if you're easily offended, the film goes there sometimes, but it works so well. It's a clever script. Um, the direction is spot on. The acting is top notch. Uh, all of the characters have little quirks to them. That's what you want to see when it, with them. That's the thing. When you have a movie that has an ensemble cast, this is a large cast, right? It's an ensemble cast. It's pretty large. However, none of the characters blend together. They all have little quirks and very distinct personalities that make them stand apart from each other. So every time there's different characters on screen, you're not like bored with any of them because they all very much are their own characters. And uh, it just makes the film that more entertaining. And the chemistry this cast had together was palpable. Yeah, to go off what you're saying, like even like a character, like look at the character of Bert. Who, like, is, I mean, like, if anything, I think maybe they spent, like, if we're going to nitpick, like, a little too much time, like, delving into his story. But, like, that is a character that is disposable. Like, that character is, like, he's just there. He could, in any other movie, he could just be there to be fodder. But they gave him such a specific story, a specific, uh, just personality. I mean, like, he was very fine-tuned. Yeah, yeah, we forgot to mention, too, with, with that character, there are several, there are a couple point, points in the film where he blatantly says he should not be alive. He's like, I don't know how I survived this night. Like, why am I the, the only one? Why, why are we the last two left? And then for him just to die by falling out a window that has nothing to do with any of the actual villains killing him, when he has been hunted, he was perhaps <laughs> the character that was hunted the most the entire <laughs> night. And for him to acknowledge it, but then to fall out a window of his own doing to his death is just one of the, just with that extra little thing (laughs) that you, that this movie delivers on. But but Roger, I'm I'm so glad you picked this. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's probably one of my favorite films that we've reviewed in a while. No, I'm happy you liked it. I had a blast with it. I could find myself watching this every year around Thanksgiving and Halloween. And we picked it. You know, it's a Halloween film. We picked it for November because gravy, hello, Thanksgiving. And it also deals with feasts. I mean, you know, it's Thanksgiving. Who, what better Thanksgiving feast than to eat some agabre sibide? I cannot think of a better. Oh my God, how tender. And, um, <laughs> well, I, I think, like, honestly, like, my main reason for wanting it this specific week was because I was like, it is the perfect transitional film during this time period. Yeah. You open on Halloween. You have this big movie about gorging yourself, and then the last scene takes place on Christmas. Like, it is it is perfect. Like, I can't recommend it more for this time of year. Check it out. Like we said, it's on Tubi. It, you'll have a blast. You'll have a blast. That's how I'm going to leave you. Please watch this movie if you haven't. If you've listened to this review and you think it sounds like something that's up your alley, trust us. We did not give, I, we did not give the movie justice. It really... 
needs to be seen to be appreciated. Check it out on Tubi for free. Uh, so that is gravy. Yay. You know, we get some listens for this because it's so obscure, but I think we will. So yeah, do we, shall we, shall we reveal our next pick? Yes, please. Okay. Please. Okay, guys, you know, it's Thanksgiving, right? In a couple weeks when we have some really cool things coming up the last couple of weeks of Thanksgiving with some really cool guests. So, and we let them pick their films. And so we are not constraining them by giving them the uh, criteria that they have to pick something that's Thanksgiving. We don't want to do that. We want them to pick something. Of their own. We already know what they picked. Two great films that I think we're going to have very great discussions with these two guests. We're not revealing who they are yet, but you'll be excited or what films they are yet. So we have to do a dead on Thanksgiving episode. November, right? Yes. So we are doing it. Come on. We're not, we, we, we try to be original sometimes, but we, we, we are generic gays sometimes. And this is when we're being generic gays, basic, basic bitches. And we're going to choose the quintessential Thanksgiving slasher that everyone knows and loves called blood rage. When I hear that title, I don't think Thanksgiving, it doesn't come to mind, but I mean, <laughs> Lo and behold, lo okay. and behold, Roger, Roger, the, 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 the image of Louise Lasser sitting in front of the refrigerator, gouging herself with Turkey. Come oh, on. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying the title doesn't harp Thanksgiving. <laughs> the gorgeous. No, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. But you know what? It's one of the, it's one of the, the few Thanksgiving themed horror films out there there's not a lot i i'm never I, we're not doing thanks killing that's a piece of shit i'm not sitting through that uh the only other one i can think of is like home sweet home which is so is very obscure you know jake the what was his name jake the big bodybuilder that stars in that is the killer do you know what i'm talking about have you seen home sweet home no i'm not no. okay and then is isn't your next is that thanksgiving i think your next no, it's just a family. It's just a family. Are you gathering. sure? Are you sure? I don't it's not think a holiday? it's. It's no. Your next is a um is an anniversary. It's an anniversary. anniversary. Okay, yeah. I knew it was. A, I love that's one we will cover it. Too. Oh, it's a, okay. it's a favorite. It's a favorite. Sharni Vincent. But anyway, so we are covering the eighty six slasher flick Blood Rage, which I know all the gay podcasts out there have covered in November. We're a year late or a couple years late, but deal with it, bitches. Our, our episode will be entertaining as fuck because I love this fucking movie. I don't know what Roger thinks about it, but this movie is so over the top, obs- uh, just ridiculous. Uh, again, Luis Lasser, that's all you need to say. Begging for the operator to help her on. Have you seen Blood Rage? No. You oh my God, so you don't even know what I'm <laughs> no, talking about. That's what I, I was could, saying. I was, I, like, <laughs> I was looking at, because we, we, I was looking no. at your face and I'm like, I'm okay, like when I mentioned when you Luis, said, I said it doesn't, I said it doesn't hark to oh, Thanksgiving. Never, I was, no, I've never seen Okay, gays, I, f- I need you to launch into a brigade, brigade and give Roger a very hard time for never watching Blood Rage because I guarantee you when he watches it, he is going to want to dress up as Luis Lasser, pigtails and all. For th- for Halloween next year. I mean, if you're if this is Halloween costume material. Oh, it's ho- her pigtails, her little yellow dress. She was. I think she thought she was in a totally different movie than what she was. I'll just leave it at that. So when you watch it, she is in her own world, doing her own thing. I don't know what they told her she was doing, and I think they told her she was doing a Shakespearean tragedy. Um, and the rest of the cast are 
doing a straight slasher flick and she's like, I'm Lady Macbeth. And so I'm going to deliver my lines like Lady Macbeth. You're going to get a kick out of it. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. I had a, I was on another podcast recently where I reviewed a god-awful, horrible, horrible. I cannot emphasize enough how horrible this movie was. What was it? A film called um, The Wolves of Wall Street. Oh, I've never heard Jesus of it. Jesus Christ. Like, I mean, if you want your eyes to bleed, watch this movie. But... um. Uh, but she had a cameo in it, and she was on screen for like three minutes. Louise like, Lasser, first... yes, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, yes, oh she gosh. was. Yeah, well, uh, there you go. I know. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? But yeah, um, and and so I, this will be a nice palate cleanser after that god awful fucking. I cannot wait. Oh my god, I did not know you'd haven't seen this, Roger. Oh my god, I just no, I was trying to, I was trying to hint at it, but then I just here I am. I just have to. Now everybody knows <laughs> that I haven't seen Blood Rage. Everyone can be mad at me. <laughs> Fuck you, Roger. Who are you to host a horror movie co- podcast without seeing Louise, Louise Lasser sitting in front of a fridge eating turkey? God, shame on me. <laughs> <laughs> you will not get that image out of your head. Man. I'm going to tell you, our Louise, we can, we have a year to prepare our Louise Lazar costumes, Roger. We're going, we're going as twin Louise. God, our calendar. Listen, guys, we're, we're doing a calendar and uh, it already includes Troy. Troy and I are dressing up as American Gothic uh, in those matching pink dresses. Oh yeah. Uh, now we're doing Thanksgiving for uh, November. We're doing Louise Lazar. I'm having my custom pineapple dress made as we speak. Oh God. Very fitted. I can't wait. You guys are gonna have to. It's gonna be on the Patreon. <laughs> That's gonna be on the. If you get, if you join the Patreon, a you're gonna get our, our official 2022 calendar. Maybe 23. It depends when when we can make it happen. But oh. It's coming. Okay. Oh, guys. Okay. So this was. So next week, Blood Rage, guys. And again, thank you for listening. If you check out the Patreon, if you don't want to check out the Patreon, we are still, you know, looking for nice five-star reviews on Apple uh, podcasts. You know, we got a surge there for like a couple we did, weeks. We did. And it, now it's gone dry. The well has gone dry. Even though our listenership is like way up. I'm like, people, come on. We're get, we're entertaining you. Can you at least go on your little phone and hit, hit five stars and submit. It's not that difficult. Whatever we got to do. Whatever. whatever we we're, getting, do. We're, we're getting desperate here. And <laughs> uh, desperate times, Troy. Mm. But guys, yeah, thank you. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Again, join us next week for Blood Rage. And you will find out next week who our our next guest is and what the film will be. And if you want to head over to our Patreon page right now, you don't even have to join it. But I did post. You don't even have to join it, guys. I'm telling you. Just click on the Patreon, patreon.com backslash Dark Knight of the Podcast. You will see what our next film review is. I posted it today. And it's, it's free. You don't have to pay anything you don't have to subscribe to see it it's there for you to see so if that interests you there you go but good night guys we've gone two two hours about gravy which i <laughs> and deserving and deserving yeah and with with that i mean i don't know where else to what else to say a great movie and a great time Troy. i'm gonna lead us out with how gravy started sowing in the seeds of love the seeds of love good night Good night. Beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) The Grammy's coming for me. Come on. Okay. Good night, guys.